Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, I'm Benji Shulman. This is the new Blue Review. How are you doing out there? How is it going? Hope you're having a lovely Monday morning. It's a bit cool this Monday morning, but not too bad. Uh, I heard that in the Cape at the moment it's uh, not great because they have a cold front, although it doesn't seem to be coming up this side uh, at all. So I suppose that is something good for everyone. And uh, I'm happy to be here on the show to, with you today. going to be checking out all sorts of cool and interesting stuff going on in Israel, in the Jewish community, and around the world. So I'm excited to be doing that with you. Just by the way, in case you weren't sure, Chai uh, FM is many things to many people, which is, of course, all of you listeners. Chai uh, FM is the source of your latest news from the Middle East. Chai FM is your platform for learning. Chai FM is your companion, and it's your connection to the greater community. And for 10 years, can you believe it, 10 years, Chai uh, FM has brought you award-winning radio, and now we are asking, asking you to partner with us on Lagba Omer. And I should say, uh, as somebody who is a, a regular on the station, that I was one of the very first people ever to sign a petition uh, to have Chai FM come on air. And in fact, it was actually on Lagba Omer itself. Kathy Kayla was at a Lagba Omer event at Great Park, which happens every single year. And she was there and she said, excuse me, will you sign this petition? I said, well, what is the petition for? And she said, well, I need a petition of a certain number of people to prove to the broadcasting authorities at CASA that we need a Jewish radio station. I said to her, but there's so few Jews, who's really going to listen? And she said, nope. She thinks it's a good idea. And in any case, there's already a Greek station, and there's far fewer Greeks than Jews, so why shouldn't we have a station? So I said, all right, that's fine. And so I signed on the dotted line, and uh, I was one of the original people who signed a petition, I don't know how many thousands of us there were, for having this uh, station. And that was on Lagba Omer, which must have been about 10 years ago. Um and now we are going to be using Elagba Omer not to start the radio station, but to actually keep it going and keep it a, keeping it afloat. So if you are around Thursday, the 23rd of May, then you've got to be involved with the Chai FM Feed Our Fire Radiothon, where you are going to help keep bringing in everything that keeps us a great radio station. You can call, you can pledge, and you can challenge. And uh, it's really going to be a, a, an amazing amount of fun and a really important endeavor because, you know, I don't know if a lot of people realize, you know, a lot of people come onto this uh, radio station and they're just doing it for uh, the love of radio, the love of the community, the love of learning. It's it's really exceptional. You know, a lot of people do it. They don't get paid. Uh, they just want to share what our community has. And I think it's also worth mentioning. Just by the way, that South Africa, the South African Jewish community is the only community in the world, the only community in the world that has a Jewish English speaking radio station. Only community, right? If you go to America, they have, uh, Jewish programming on our version of public radio or their version of public radio. So they'll have like an hour or two of Jewish music. Uh, you do get ra- internet radio stations that sometimes do shirim. But if we're talking about a proper 
terrestrial radio station that goes all around the world. You don't get anywhere else that is English-speaking. There is one in France that I know of. That's a French one. Uh, and in Argentina, they have a Spanish one. But really, if in terms of English-speaking radio stations, we are the only one in the world. And we're listened to by people all over the world. And I think that that's a real testament to our community and what we're able to do. And we've got to keep it going. So... Now, back to the uh, the initial thing that we we're saying is that this Thursday, it's 10 years since HiFM started, Thursday the 23rd of May, and uh, we need your help. So you can check out the call center number 010-140-4090 and, uh, and, and make a pledge. It doesn't have to be a lot, but, uh, you know, we want to keep things going here so uh, that I have something to do on my Monday morning. For, if, if nothing else So yeah, there we go Chai FM unpres- Unscripted, unprescribed, uncensored uh, And unbowed And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to having A fantastic Fantastic Radiothon coming up on Thursday And we're going to be having a fantastic show So what is coming up? We're going to be talking about a few things We're going to be talking about a new deal Being done uh, with MIT uh, That's the Massachusetts uh, Institute of Technology, big, big university in America with Israeli universities, which is very interesting considering, you know, where we're at at the moment with some of that debate here in South Africa. We're going to be talking about Eurovision and why it went right and uh, what was quite, quite good about it. So that's uh, very, very cool. Uh, we are going to be talking about a woman in Israel who's using teddy bears for healing uh, and uh, a, a couple of other things. Uh, just going on in terms of current affairs and culture. This is what we what we've come to expect on the show. So, uh, looking forward to bringing it to you. But it's a Monday morning. I'm in quite a good mood. So let's get on with some music, shall we? And uh, start with some Moshe Parrots. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Back with 101.9 KFM, I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Welcome back to the program. Now, I have to say, there is something that I wanted to talk about locally today, and I wanted your input on it. So perhaps uh, if you have some ideas on this, I'd be uh, delighted to hear them. You know, I, I love driving around Joburg at this time of year uh, because it's autumn, and as a result, you have uh, all these different leaves that are flying about. And some of them are red and some of them are brown and some of them are still a bit green before we go into winter. And it really is a very beautiful sight, uh, particularly if you're looking onto some of the uh, different plane trees that you see in and around, uh, you know, Joburg and, uh, you know, uh, wherever they are. Um, and and they it's just a beautiful sight. And I think Joburgers love the trees that we have. Uh, and... And I was reading yesterday about a new program, well, not such a new program, but a program that's been going for a while in Johannesburg called the Champion Trees Program. And these are trees which have sort of been designated with a special, <coughs> excuse me, heritage status so that they can't be cut down. So one of them, for example, is a tree in the West Campus of Wits University, which is a massive 100-year-old uh, blue gum tree, which used to be a trading post um but in, in the, between the two different roads uh, at the bottom of the agricultural center there. And uh, that tree uh, has heritage because it's from the beginning of our city. And there's another tree which is towards the University of Johannesburg. And that tree is uh, considered a champion tree because it's 
uh, used to be used as a landmark for people who were running away from the apartheid regime and because it was the the tree in front of Ruth First's house. So it's very interesting for me that there are these trees out there. And what I wanted to know from you is, do you have a favorite tree in Johannesburg? Or do you have a favorite set of trees in Johannesburg? I mean, there's definitely, for me, some lanes where you can go and watch the jacarandas, uh, which is quite nice. I mean, is there a place that you like to see trees from Johannesburg, a, a particular hilltop, something like that? Um I'm just interested. Uh, I'd like to find out what you think. So let us know. Where is your favorite tree spotting part of Johannesburg? 0618951019. That's the WhatsApp line. Then you can SMS us 34519. Uh, tweet us at FM, or you can uh, email us on air at highfm.com. Uh, I want to hear from you uh, if you have a favorite tree finding spot. In the city. Uh, that's really, really all I want to know on this Monday morning because I think that's, it's important. We're going to look after our trees. So yeah, that is on the tree side. But one of the other things I wanted to talk about is Eurovision. Now I have to say up front, I'm not a Eurovision fan. Uh, I obviously had heard about the event because it's famous for having launched the careers of ABBA and a number of others. And of course, when, um, a toy became a thing, Last year, I was playing it in my office to much the annoyance of the people who have to sit with an earshot of my office because I thought it was actually a pretty decent song and I liked the vibe of it. And uh, that was great. So we we had Toy and then Eurovision came to Israel. And a lot of people I've seen, particularly on social media, have been moaning about um, about Iceland and what they did and there were protests, etc. And... And I even got had to do a phone call with a different radio station who phoned me on a Sunday afternoon specifically to ask about the protests. And then the answer I gave them, I think they didn't like it, so they never, ever even played the interview. So it just goes to show, uh, you know, where, where where people's focus is on with this. And what I wanted to really say is that I think that Eurovision is a fantastic case of Israel getting it right. Yeah. One of the aspects of it was um, that it went off without a hitch from a technical perspective. Putting on Eurovision is not a simple thing. You've got to get lots of loans. You've got to get lots of sign, lots of contracts. Um, and there are it's an expensive undertaking and difficult one. And there were some serious issues this year uh, in regards to Jerusalem, uh, in regards to uh, getting the government to support the public broadcaster, which the government didn't do, which I think was unfortunate. Um, but there was a lot of things that that had to be put in place, and Israel got it right. But it's not just about the staging of the show, um, because more than just the staging, you, you had to use it as an opportunity to really get brand Israel out there, to show what the Jewish people are capable of, and, and show that these things can work. So first of all, it went out off without a hitch. People went to Israel. There were no problems. I've seen a lot of reports of, you know, the Nordic people who like to follow this contest around and check out what's going on with regards to Eurovision loving Israel because it was so hot for one. Uh, so they could chill out uh, and enjoy themselves. So that was a real success. Uh, I've seen a lot of videos online of fan parks of people just going out there enjoying themselves without incident. And I think that that is uh, a, a real, a real testament and a real, just like, you've got to get the basics right. Uh, as we saw with the World Cup, you, you need to have everything in place. But even beyond p- putting it together, 
The question is, could this thing be leveraged so that, um, you know, so that people could really see Israel uh, for what it is? So one of the things that they did was they brought in Madonna, right? So Madonna, uh, obviously a brand <laughs> closely connected to Eurovision, and I thought that, you know, she, she was an, a nice fit. Uh, and uh, what was nice is that the money for Madonna came from a Canadian billionaire somewhere who is very interesting culture. So it wasn't just an Israeli thing. It was also a Jewish diaspora thing. Uh, and Madonna came. And the, But the truth is Madonna, she didn't wow anyone. Uh, it, it was very, okay, it's Madonna. Can't go wrong with Madonna. Uh, she wore an eye patch. She talked about peace. Uh, she sang her songs, What More Could You Want from Madonna? Right, but around Eurovision, there were some other aspects which I th- just thought were were brilliant and and really really good, and one of them was called the postcard uh, section, um, and postcards was all about uh, postcards was all about this uh, issue of checking out postcards from different parts of Israel, so. When they say postcards, they would take a contestant, say I saw the guy from Portugal, for example, and they do a little film of him dancing somewhere in Israel, which was kind of cute. And and then, you know, each one would be a bit different. And I thought that that was really cool. Um, the one in particular, the one that I liked the most was the guy in Portugal because he was at the Dead Sea. And it wasn't your typical picture of someone floating in the Dead Sea with a newspaper and a bit of mud. It was him in one of these salt islands that's emerged out of uh, Dead Sea because it's receding. And uh, there he was dancing on uh, on it. And, and people saw this from all around the world. And they had ones in Jaffa and they had ones in Haifa. And uh, they had all of these different uh, you know, people who were doing that. So I think that that was uh, interesting and useful. And I really think that... Uh, the PR aspect of that, getting it out there, was was really really great, and I think uh, it really showed Israel for what it was, uh, and and just was very exciting for a lot of people. The other aspect, which I think was great, was the issue of BDS. You know, a lot of people were concerned about BDS and what would it mean, and we have to be you know key on this. Uh, one of the big challenges that's uh, up against Israel is this attempt to isolate it culturally, right? Uh, to force per acts to not go there. And uh, the truth is, is that a smaller number of acts haven't, but the large majority of acts do go there. And something like this was a enormous defeat for, for BDS. And somebody pointed it out, uh, which I hadn't realized, you know, Israel uh, did this in the seventies, if I'm not mistaken, uh, yeah, I think 79 and then in 1998. And in those years, I think particularly in the 70s, Turkey didn't come, Yugoslavia didn't come, Arab states didn't come. And uh, and the reason was because there was this international boycott actually going on at the time. And this year, all we really had was a couple of really strange-looking Icelandic people holding up a flag. And what, what I th- thought was super interesting was that uh the the BDS movement itself told the Icelandic people who went and p- put up a stupid display that um that 
that they rejected this, that it was fig leafism and, and didn't really contribute to anything. So, in other words, you had this anti-Israel group. They came to Israel. They performed. Nothing happened to them. They tried to protest, and their allies told them that, look, uh, we don't really want you to do that. And so no one pulled out because of BDS, and this thing was a resounding success from that perspective. And what I do hope Eurovision will help to do is just another stamp in the way of showing people that this thing is not serious, that it it doesn't, it's not going to take you out, uh, and all you've got to do is stand up to it, and it will go away. So I think that that is great and important, and we should be celebrating that. And whatever you think of Eurovision, because it is a controversial uh, thing, it's always kind of bizarre and a bit weird, and the songs are all out there, and it's also not too serious, so you don't want to make it too serious. But the fact is, is that, um, yeah, it it went off, and I think overall it was it was the right uh, it was the right decision to host it. it was the right decision to host it in Tel Aviv, and I just think it was a positive aspect all around. And certainly the people I know who went had an amazing time and enjoyed themselves. So that's uh, the view on Eurovision. Uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back just after this. IFM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. It is 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. And one of the things I want to know from you today on the show, by the way, just before we get to that, that was Static and Ben Altavori with Namaste, just in case you were concerned. Um, yeah, I want to know from you your favorite trees in Johannesburg. Where are they? Where can you see them? Where can you hug them? We want to know. 061-895-1019. That's WhatsApp. You can SMS us on 34519. Tweet us at at FM or email us on air at com. We want to know about all of your trees. That's really what we want to know. It is true. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's on that side of things. Uh, something else which I picked up this morning, can you believe it, which I think is super interesting and uh, worth uh, worth talking about is a new program which is happening with MIT. And I think it's a real the, a real role model, something we need to be looking at uh, in terms of the fight uh, against BDS, but also just the way that we go about doing things. So let me explain to you first what this story is all about. Uh, a newly launched fund uh, is being funded and uh, it's called the Zuckerman STEM Leadership Program so uh, if you don't know what STEM is STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths and it's the cluster of subjects that you put together uh, in, in it's, you know the, anything that takes math and science together it's basically called a STEM uh, subject and the leadership program is aiming to promote partnerships between faculty members and academic Researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT, which is a, uh, a technical university up there with Harvard and uh, all the other sort of crazy Caltech, these sorts of amazing American universities. And uh, they're doing partnerships between them and seven leading Israeli academics institutions for new research in STEM fields. Uh, the seven universities are bar Ben Gurion University, the Hebrew University, the Technion, uh, Tel Aviv University, University of Haifa, and the Weizmann Institute of Science. And this particular grant will give $30,000 uh, 
for collaborations and support travel and costs for exchanges between colleagues in the U.S. and Israel. So $30,000, what are we talking about? So about 450,000 rand. Nothing to sneeze at. Um, faculty from all disciplines are eligible to submit proposals. Uh, and the Zuckerman, the Zuckerman, this is according to the Zuckerman Institute. Each proposal must include participation of at least one Ph.D. student from MIT. Uh, and according to a trustee of the Zuckerman Institute, it's an honor for our program to partner with MIT, an institution with great historic and contemporary reputation. The Israeli universities we work with have a shorter history, but they are building on a centuries-old Jewish intellectual heritage. Mort Zuckerman, uh, uncle and founder of the Institute, has always been committed to fostering understanding between Israel and America as part of his commitment to philanthropy that betters Societies. Now, in case you're wondering, uh, when we talk about Zuckerman here, we are in fact talking about Mort Zuckerman, uh, which has nothing at all to do with, um, which has nothing at all to do with the Facebook Zuckerman. Uh, this is a completely different Zuckerman. And if you go to Israeli universities in and around the country, you'll often bu- bump into Zuckerman funded projects in Israel itself. So, I think there's a Zuckerman Institute for Water Research, just for example. And uh, and the reason why I like this particular article and this particular program is because I think it's one of, one of and a sort of often neglected aspect of how we fight academic BDS, right? So we often find that uh, with, with when it comes to academic BDS that there's Apartheid weeks and protests and petitions and all of this kind of stuff. And, and that's important, right? We have to fight these things as they come up. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about BDS, at the end of the day, what it's trying to do is isolate Israel and isolate Jewish students and Jewish faculty from what's going on. And so the most kind of first route and obvious way to combat that is just to create connections. The more connections you create, the more likely it is uh, that that there's not going to be any disconnection because you have people who have what they call skin in the game. As soon as you have people who have a lot to lose or anything to lose, then they're also likely to fight for that relationship, uh, especially people who have not been brainwashed uh, by some of the propaganda out there. And, of course, having people visit Israel on uh a funded trip also means that they get to speak to the people, they get to engage, they get to collaborate, and that creates very powerful bonds. And so I really think that this is a sort of highly intelligent way about of, of going about doing things. And and I think it's a, something that we can and should and I think probably are starting to copy in this country. We have people who support universities uh, in South Africa. I think Jewish donors um, – even Israeli donors and donors from America and whoever uh, are all seeing uh, our universities in need. And I think that this is an incredibly good way of, of, first of all, helping South Africa because what you have is you're giving people opportunities to learn that they didn't have. I mean, we all know fees must fall and the issues that people have doing postgrads, etc. cetera. Uh, this is a huge issue in our society. And what better way to address that than providing things like scholarships and uh, and studying opportunities and connecting them to Israel so that people have the opportunity to go there 
and see for themselves what's going on and uh, also to get insight into some of the big challenges uh, facing the world that can then be brought home here uh, and solved um, back in South Africa. So I think that's an incredibly good initiative uh, and hopefully people in South Africa are watching and will be able to do it here as well. So that's uh, what's going on on this side. Uh, and I just thought this was a super interesting, uh, super interesting uh, new initiative and one of the right ways in which we're going to win this war. Let's take a break. We'll be back just after. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. That was Marla Marla on uh, 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. Welcome to the show. I hope everyone is having a great start to your Monday. And if you aren't having a great start to your Monday, if you're not, if it's just one of those Mondays, and we know we all have them, it does happen, it does happen that you have a Monday which isn't sufficiently not like a Monday. It does happen. So maybe this story will make you feel a little bit better. Because uh, I just thought it was such a sweet story. And the story is about the healing effects of having a teddy bear. A teddy bear. Uh, everyone's had a teddy bear, I'm assuming. But one Israeli woman is taking teddy bearism to the next level. Uh, and what she does is, is she gives away teddy bears to people who are in hospitals, in Israeli hospitals. And unlike a lot of people... Um, who do it, she uh, she t- gives them actual instructions on how to hug them. So the important thing is actually not so much the teddy bear, but you actually have to hug it a few times a day. And apparently, scientifically speaking, uh, this is something which helps people to uh, feel better and, uh, and just be better, really, uh, as they try and heal through one of the ordeals that they're going. So the organization is called uh, Healing Teddies, or Dubnei Hach Lama in Hebrew, and it's a unique program that is now active in 27 Israeli um, hospitals. And it's run by a woman. Her name is Zivka Nusinka, uh, and she's a 44-year-old Israeli mother of two uh, who um, who started this program and uh and when she got she she apparently had a, a cancer treatment and as part of this uh somebody gave her a a bear and uh she said this is such a great idea that it was something that uh uh that she wanted to do uh, one of the other people who um is very much behind this is Ilana Kosink wait I apologize to Ilana but it's Ilana Kosentkonvinsky and uh, she has an amazing story behind this bear because what happened was is she, in 2001 uh, her mother wasn't doing too well and she also brought her a bear and uh she gave it to her mother and her mother didn't really want it she wasn't doing anything with it and just before she died she actually gave the bear back uh to uh Ilana and she says that what she understood was that in her, her last few weeks she didn't want to be attached to anything uh, and she just wanted to give the bear back, um, and so and as as a as a something to to basically rem- remember her by. And 
these teddy bears have been enormously interesting and successful to people. There's now 57,000 teddy bears to cancer patients, uh, trauma survivors, and other hospital patients uh, all around the the, the country. And uh, Ilana says that it is like an empire of hugs, and the official non-profit was launched in 2006. Now, you can't just rock up with any old... Uh, teddy bear that doesn't work when it comes to this you've got to actually order a special one there's one made uh, in china and they come in and uh, the instructions they come with special instructions as i said so instructions recommend hugging the bear at least three times a day for 10 minutes to activate and impart warmth support and love without conditions or limitations there's also a traditional jewish prayer for healing which appears with the tag uh, so successful has this been that uh, bears that were given, for example, to terror victims uh, in 2002 uh, are still being uh, are still part of people's recovery program. Uh, people who were caught up in the intifada uh, and such, and uh, it's uh, it's a been a real thing. And it's not just small kids. Apparently, like older people really like it as well. Uh, men, women, children. Teddy bears are not just for for children, and. Uh, and this woman goes around the world and uh, gets people to get uh, to give teddy bears. She, she says that her first big donor was a Christian man from Tennessee, who she eventually met uh, on early from early supporters on a trip to the United States. But now corporate partners have started coming on board: Teva, Coca Cola, and even a crowdfunding campaign. So uh, I just think it's a, a great uh, a great program and something which might very well. Uh, even spread to other parts of the world, uh, they're aiming to reach another three and a half thousand people a year, depending on donations. So, I mean, I don't know. If that doesn't uh, make your Monday a bit better, well, go out there, find your teddy bear, and give it a big hug. We're going to take a tall, short break, come back after this. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Hi, FM, and I don't know who has sent in. This particular SMS, because they didn't sign it, but it's very funny. And uh, they have said, does that count as a zoo report? <laughs> well, thank you, whoever sent that in. Of course, the zoo report is something that we do on the afternoon show uh, when... Um, when, you know, when I do the afternoon show, if I, if I have to stand in, uh, for Simon or Kathy or whatever, then we always make sure we do a zoo report. I don't, these are not live teddy bears person who sent that in. Uh, but yes, I suppose, uh, I mean, I suppose a bit of a zoo report never hurt anybody, if you ask me, you know, I'm, I'm all in favor of it. So, uh, I see, I see that is going on. Um, I also saw in the news that the SACP has denounced attack by the SO Jewish Board of Deputies over the embassy. And I have to say, I think I think what's going on here, because you would have picked it up over the weekend, uh, that there was a bit of a concerted effort in the media to to go after a headline in the Jewish report um, about about the Jewish Board of Deputies and their views on the on the downgrade. And I uh I think I have to say, I think that this is uh, Lindiwe Sisulu fighting for her job using the Jews. Uh, and I think it has to do with the fact that Lindiwe Sisulu has basically messed up her portfolio. I think that she was never very good at the job. Uh, 
as soon as she came in, a lot of people uh, who I know sort of in the ANC and uh, just people who've had to deal with her in, in the past said, look, this woman is not up to this, up to scratch. She's, she gets overexcited. She's a drama queen, uh, you know, and it's, uh, and, you know, she, she just doesn't, she just doesn't have what it takes. Interestingly, I should just say, uh, you know, she comes from the very famous Susudu family and, uh, including Walter Susudu, um, who he actually went to Israel himself. You know, he visited Israel in the 60s because in the 60s, uh, they were trying to, the ANC was trying to organize support around the world for their work. And so, uh, they commissioned basically Walter Sasulu and Duma Nokwe to go around the world. And the only airline that would take them, that would allow them to come, uh, was LL, uh, because they didn't have a passport and no other airline would take them without a passport. So off he went uh, and he was quite happy to go. So it's just interesting. Uh, it was his, uh, the, the commemoration of his death just a few days ago, which just, it occurred to me. In any case, Sasuda hasn't done a good job. Uh, she hasn't done a good job on the embassy aspect. She hasn't done a good job in Rwanda. She messed up at the United Nations. There's nothing to suggest that her stuff with America has been any good. And she knows her job is on the line. And uh, I think that she's just trying to use the Jews to keep her job, which I think is unfortunate uh, when nobody's political football. So uh, in the new cabinet, I sincerely hope that she gets demoted to some useless ministry uh, which doesn't do anything or better yet kicked out entirely because I don't think that she's a particularly useful thing for South Africa at the moment. And I don't think she should be using our community for such. So anyway, that brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Vusi who helps us with the post sound engineering. Thank you to Mandy who does the production and Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. We'll be chatting again soon on the new Boo Review.